Radioactive plugs you into the community weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and your support means Radioactive can keep passing the mic to people and nonprofits making a difference, like the League of Women Voters of Utah. Helping legislators understand that investing in the community, investing in programs is investing in the state. It's investing in us all. Radiothon starts October 29th. Help us to keep plugging you into the community by making your donation online at krcl.org. We are made of stars. Some Moby for you here on KRCL 90.9, starting off radioactive, and ahead of that, eBay Hamilton winding up another New Music Monday. I'm Laura Jones. Welcome to Radioactive, the show that plugs you into your community of grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives weeknights at 6 o'clock. Coming up on the show tonight... Better Boundaries Executive Director Katie Wright is going to be talking about redistricting with us here at home. Later this week, they have a virtual fundraiser featuring Kathy Fang, National Redistricting Director of Common Cause. And we're going to get into what's happening nationally and locally and how you can still make a difference in how the boundaries for voting districts are redrawn for the next 10 years. It is all coming to a head in the next couple of weeks, folks. But first, a conversation I had with a pediatrician about lead poisoning. It is National Lead Poisoning Prevention Week, and the goal is every child tested, every future secured. Currently, only about 3.6% of Utah kids, five years and younger, have been tested for lead. The Utah Lead Coalition hopes to increase that number to 100%. To find out more on how we're going to do it, Let's pass that microphone. Hello, my name is Claudia Fruin, and I'm a pediatrician and the founder of the Utah Lead Coalition. How old is your organization, Dr. Fruin? We started the organization in um, October of 2016, and it was after Flint, Michigan lead poisoning that um, I became involved in this. Yeah, I'm I'm reminded of all the campaigns about lead-based paint in houses when I was growing up. Um, where do we need to worry about lead poisoning in our homes or our neighborhoods? So still the biggest risk is from lead-based paint. And typically this will be found in older homes built before 1978, which was when there was um, a ban on and lead-based paint uh, for personal use in homes. So um, old deteriorating paint, um, paint dust and chips like from window seals, um, all of that is still the biggest problem, but there are other sources as well. Yes. As you said, Flint, Michigan, we're looking at an entire generation of children's brain development affected by that. Talk to me about what lead does to a body, young or old. So lead, there is no safe level of lead whatsoever, um, but the, it targets majorly the developing nervous system, and especially in children or in pregnant women who can pass lead on to their developing fetus. And it will cause lowering of IQ scores. It can cause behavioral disorders um, such as aggression, ADHD, um, lots of behavioral disorders, but it also will affect the kidneys and it can cause hypertension. It can cause hearing loss. It can cause growth problems. So it affects every organ system in the body, but the one we're most concerned about is the developing nervous system. The only way to know if a child has been exposed is a blood test. But unlike some states, I understand from your coalition that Utah does not require blood testing of children other than Medicaid at ages one and two. So what do we need to do about this? 
Well, this has been the effort of our LUD coalition over the last five years or so is that because our state does not require it, um, we have recommended in order to get data in our state to see where we're at, that all children should really be tested at age one and two years of age. And they can do that by a, a blood test, typically in the doctor's office, a finger, finger stick blood test in the doctor's office. Um, and that's the only way to know for sure. But if a child has never been tested, even up to age six years is probably very important because most lead poisoning is at quite low levels and there typically are no symptoms at these levels. What can be done if that test is positive? Well, the first thing you want to do is try and figure out why the child is actually being exposed. So you want to look at things in the home or places they're going. So you want to look at, you know, paint and soil, and you want to look at uh, water, sources of, of water. So your faucets, um, your uh, lead, possibly lead pipes in your, in your water, um, the pipes coming into your home, the lead service line. Um, so there are, you want to look for the sources. Are they putting lots of things in their mouth? Do you have old toys? Um, do you have a certain job or a certain hobby that would expose you to lead that you could potentially um, cause poisoning your child? So is it on your clothing? Is it in, in your hair? Is it on your fingers? Um, all your of those water things. or your spices even. Spices, yes. Spices and candies, imported, imported makeups, imported pottery, all kinds of sources. So once it's been detected in a body, young or old, is there anything that can be done to get that out of a body? Well, typically at these lower levels, you want to wait till it sort of works its way out, but it can be stored in, in, in your bones and in your blood and in your organs. Um, so you, you have to decrease the exposure and then slowly allow it to get out of your body. It's only very high levels that there's actually medical intervention. And even that may not work that well. So, so to get thing, out of your body, you're talking about metabolizing it out? Yes, excreting it out of your body, like out of your urine over, over a period of time. There are programs to help you figure out if you are being exposed, especially in your home. Can you tell us about those? Well, the biggest one is for residents of Salt Lake County, which is called the Salt Lake County Lead Safe Housing Program. And this is an amazing program that will, if you qualify, um, remediate your home from lead hazards. So um, this is through a very large grants that Salt Lake County has obtained, and they're always looking for homes where they can um, improve um, lead. And in order to actually qualify for this, um, you just um, have to live in a property, so a rental or own a home built before 1978. Um, there must be a, either a pregnant woman living there or there a child that is under age six that lives there or comes to the house frequently. And you must be at least 18 years of old. And there are some income requirements as well, but they're quite generous. It's not terribly hard to qualify. And as mentioned, there's lots of money and um, lots of ability to actually remediate homes in Salt Lake County. So this is an amazing, um, amazing program. Including replacing windows, paint, and soil at no cost. So we'll be sure to put a link in the show notes for folks to check that out. Um, one of the requirements uh, mentioned pregnant women. And I wanted to talk about pregnant women being able to pass that lead poisoning on to their unborn child. How does that work? So yeah, lead will actually cross the, cross the placenta and it will cross um, after 12 weeks. So after the first trimester, 
And if a woman has lead stored up in her body, it actually will leach out um, into the bloodstream during, during pregnancy. So you will get increased levels that will actually come out, you know, say you were a target shooter or a fisher or you fisher person, or you had a hobby, a pottery hobby or stained glass window, all of these things. Or sometimes during pregnancy, women will eat unusual things. It's called pica. So they may eat dirt or clay or, you know, pottery chips, stuff like that. And those will also be sources of lead. So there's a craving for that. Um, And that would also be a source and and harm the baby. Most lead poisoning is silent, meaning there are generally no symptoms except at these very high levels. And then the damage has been done. You also tell me that refugees or immigrants are also at higher risk. Uh, Are we talking about that as a socioeconomic issue, a cultural issue as folks come to our country and don't yet know how to navigate uh, their environment or their community resources? Yes, all, all of those things you mentioned are really important. Um, so um, we, we will have a large population of Afghans that will be coming uh, to Utah, just like the rest of the um, country. And that's actually a country that has one of the highest risks of lead poisoning. And the, the state actually does have a program where it's required to test certain, you know, especially young children when they come into the country and then follow up after six months or so. But there's certainly higher risk. And this is extremely interesting that about two weeks, a study came out that looked back at 1 million kids that were tested in our country. And they found that half of the kids actually had detectable blood levels. And so this includes refugees, um, everybody, and that actually 2% had elevated lead levels. And the highest risk in this study, which is the most recent, was um, being Black, um, being Hispanic, and being poor. Poverty, limiting your options in terms of where you can live, what you can afford, and what may be in your environment. And as you say, no safe level of lead exists, but this is preventable. It certainly is preventable, and it's preventable by building an awareness and knowing things about your home, you know, being aware of when you buy a home that, you know, you have the right to get an investigation for lead and that you can mitigate lead and that there's ways of preventing lead and that you should do things like take your shoes off when you come in your house and make sure you clean toys and that you wash hands a lot. And if you find out you have old lead pipes and faucets and fixtures, there's things like running cold water for a couple of minutes before, um, you know, before you actually use it. Things like boiling water won't get rid of lead at all. So there are, you know, by awareness, there are ways to actually prevent it. It is National Lead Poisoning Prevention Week through October 30th, the goal every child tested, every future secured. And I just wanted to close with another statistic, and that's only about 3.6% of Utah children five years and younger have been tested for lead. So what is your message here as we close this conversation to to parents, to uh, concerned community groups? We are really definitely improving. We've increased 12-fold the number of kids tested, but we need to do a better job um, that all kids are tested. And this means that pediatricians, that family practice doctors, that OBGYN doctors are all aware of this and that are they are doing routine asking, screening, as well as testing of children. And this is very, very important for us to get this information. What we're currently finding is that Around 1%, and this is just since our increase, that around 1% of Utah children that actually have been tested and reported 
do have an elevated lead level, which is not, which is really not a good statistic at all. And as more testing continues, we may find that this actually goes up. And I'm guessing that the pandemic makes all of this more imperative that people get tested. Uh, what has been the impact, Doc? You're a pediatrician. Um, what have you been seeing in terms of people coming in or not coming in for the regular checkups? Well, there, there has, this has been a big, big deal nationally because I think it's gone down about a third where children, because they didn't go in for their well child checkups, did not get lead testing. The other important thing is, so number one, they're not getting tested, so they're, they can be exposed and getting damaged. And then the other thing is because more t- kids are spending more time at home, didn't go to school, didn't go to daycare, didn't go to preschool, if that exposure could actually be exacerbated because they're in their home more. Their immunity is not as robust being out and about among the public. Yet in a pandemic, you want to not be as exposed to the public. It is exacerbating so many health problems, including lead exposure among kids. Dr. Fruin, thanks for helping us get the word out here on Radioactive. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Laura, for having having me. Check tonight's show notes for links to the resources we talked about with Dr. Fruin. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive. Still to come, redistricting. Do not let your eyes and ears glaze over. This is going to decide a lot of our politics in Utah for the next 10 years. To get us from here to there, how about this? New low. Sarah Harmer on KRCL 90.9. You can help folks in need in our community this winter by donating new and gently used cold weather clothing to nonprofits like The Road Home and Volunteers of America. To find a clothing drive and drop off info, visit krcl.org. Thanks to George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation for investing in KRCL and communities throughout Utah. KRCL is inviting your business to be our newest sponsor by issuing a tax-deductible challenge grant during Radiothon. It's an effective and affordable way to introduce your business to a local, loyal audience through on-air messaging, social media, and more. Email B at krcl.org. And thank you to everyone who's already ponied up a challenge grant. You can still get in on it. Just go to krcl.org. Radiothon starts on Friday, folks. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive. Do you know where your ballot is? If you were already registered to vote, you should have received a ballot in the mail. 23 municipalities taking part in ranked choice voting. So your ballots may look a little different. But you know what's going to look a little different over the next 10 years? Voting districts. Or will they? Folks in power get to draw the boundaries, even though we have an independent redistricting commission. To find out more, let's pass that microphone. Katie Wright, I'm the executive director of Better Boundaries Utah. My name is Kathy Fung, and I am the director of redistricting and representation at Common Cause. So excited to have the two of you on. And Kathy, you're going to be speaking with an event that Better Boundaries is doing. And Katie, let's just get that off off our plate right at the top. What's happening and when and how can people hear from Kathy Fang? Yes, we're so grateful that she will join us and give us a national perspective on redistricting from across the country. It is on Wednesday, October 27th at noon, and you can visit betterboundaries.org to learn how to register. Wonderful. Let's start with a reminder for folks. Let's get in the Wayback Machine, Katie, and talk about Prop 4, the people passed, demanding, and getting an independent redistricting commission, but not without the legislature making a few tweaks. And we find ourselves where we are today, Katie. Yeah, so where we are today is that we have a really impressive independent redistricting commission 
um, made up of seven Utahans. They um, represent both Republicans, Democrats, and independents, and they're appointed by the governor and um, the majority and minority parties. And I think of note, um, the people are really impressive with name recognition and expertise, such as uh, former Congressman Rob Bishop and Utah Supreme Court Judge Christine Durham. So people with um, clout, strong backbones, and a lot of expertise to bring to the table. Better Boundaries, the group that helped put together and push forward Prop 4 that the voters approved a couple years back. And redistricting is now on the table and coming to a head across the country. We were waiting for census data that was delayed, finally came out in August. And since then, it's been this push between the Independent Redistricting Committee and the Utah legislature's... Wait, I already screwed that up. So let me say this again. The Utah Independent Redistricting Commission and the Utah Legislature Redistricting Committee. Two separate processes they're going to have to reconcile here. And there's still opportunity for folks to get involved, though, Katie. On November 1st, which is absolutely critical, the Independent Commission will be presenting their maps, three for each of the four districts, to the Legislative Redistricting Committee, and there will be public input. So that is a critical meeting for Utahns to engage in. And then we know the Legislative Redistricting Committee will meet again on the 8th. It's not yet posted what time. And that's before um, the legislator goes into special session. They have set a goal of adopting maps before Thanksgiving. And when you say four districts, we're talking about the four congressional districts, our four elected representatives, which right now are all Republicans. And redistricting will set the tone for voting and likely voting outcomes for the next 10 years. Um, So I'm really excited to hear from our guest today, Kathy Fang, National Redistricting Director of Common Cause, about this issue across the country and maybe if she has any highlights for for Utah because a bunch of folks concerned about election integrity uh, crowded a Judiciary Committee interim committee meeting up on Utah's Capitol Hill. And I was really surprised that in a supermajority red state, folks were saying we need a forensic audit. The election was rigged. So, uh, Kathy, what are you seeing across the country as redistricting comes to a head in all of our states? Well, here's the exciting thing. Since 2018, there are seven states that have adopted some type of redistricting reform. And they didn't just do it by a little. They did it overwhelmingly. Um, And that's the exciting piece is that Utah, when Utah adopted redistricting reform in 2018, they were joined by states like Colorado, Michigan, Missouri, and Ohio. And you can tell from that list, that's not sort of just red states or just blue states. It's sort of people across the board, you know, purple, blue, red. And then after that, two more states adopted reforms, Virginia and New Mexico. They join a whole host of states that have been engaging in redistricting reforms where the legislature doesn't draw the lines directly. Right. So some states have done what Utah did, which is to create an advisory commission. Um, But to have that advisory commission be as independent as what Utah has created is very impressive. Um, And I think other states have created commissions that actually have the, the, the pen and power to adopt the maps. Right. Um, And other states are doing a little less than that, like Florida uh, and Missouri, where, uh, the legislature is bound by certain rules that they can't um, uh, cross, but it's still the legislature drawing the lines. 
all of those reforms, you know, we're, we're in a big experimental stage to see which ones will turn out to be sort of most representative of where people want to be uh, and give people a chance to elect candidates of their choice. You know, we're experimenting with ranked choice voting in 23 municipalities here in Utah this November. And I'm really interesting to, interested to see how that plays out in affecting the people's ability to choose their politicians. It's changing the game, the changing the rules of the game. And I think that's where we're starting to see people really focusing. The rules of engagement um, are incredibly important, especially when it comes to redistricting. Um, what are your concerns as the country does this? Because um, we're seeing a lot of voter suppression across the country as um, power changes parties, shall we say. Right. Right. Well, so one of the biggest things is that I think that there is a real sense that because there's significant demographic change across the country, um, that some people view redistricting reforms as um, uh, dangerous, and uh, even though they may, ha- may have an overwhelming number of people within their state who are calling for that type of change, uh, that those politicians who are in power are resisting it full force. We see that at the national level, where uh, slowly uh, what was a very strong and powerful uh, bill, the For the People Act, which had a requirement that every state would create an independent redistricting commission, was removed from a bill and another very good bill, the uh, uh, Freedom to Vote Act, was uh, going to create some strong standards um, and make it clear that, you know, if you cross the line in terms of partisan gerrymandering or racial gerrymandering, that the courts could hold account. But the problem is, is that that also did not make it through Congress. And so there is definitely a very fierce battle over what kinds of reforms can be adopted. What I will say is that for those states that have adopted reforms, we should always be looking to figure out how to make that mousetrap even better. Right? So in California, we have built into our system at the end of each redistricting cycle, and this will be the second time we have an independent commission drawing the lines, that commission can look back and say, how would we like to improve that? What have we learned? Right? That could be technology. That could be how can we improve participation from people? How can we start earlier? How can we put more money into it? Um, How can we remove attempts to um, rig the system from outside forces that still have a stake in trying to, you know, get an advantage for one party or another or one incumbent or another? And what we have seen is that over time, citizens keep coming back to it and saying, okay, how can we improve that? And what I would hope is that when people look at what Utah has adopted or any other state, that what they say is this is this is something that is part of us being a vigilant democracy, where each time we try to create something that is good, how can we make it better? Rather than saying what I what I'm very worried about is incumbents and party operatives being able to convince people, oh, see, we didn't get everything from this reform. And so let's re- repeal it or revoke it, right? We sometimes see that with reforms, whether that's ranked choice voting. Um, sometimes it's even with redistricting reforms. And so what we need to be vigilant as, as a group of people who care about these issues is to say, every time we adopt something, we have to be full participants and we have to be on guard um, for how to change it for the better. You can't get cemented in, 
in stone, but you also uh, can't can't let down your guard and allow the thing to be repealed. So, Kathy, what is the argument? Give us arm us with some 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 logic, some convincing arguments to folks who think, well, we don't need to change this. It's fine. We are the argument that the legislative redistricting committee is making in its branding is elected by the people. Well, the people also voted for independent redistricting commission. These things are in conflict when it comes to who's got power. So how do we have this conversation with the people who are in power? Because um, Katie Matheson from Alliance for Better Utah was on earlier this week talking about a public meeting at the Utah legislature where they overlaid a map, a school board map submitted by the public with the existing office holders because, you know, you need to retain continuity of leadership. That's not what redistricting is about, is it? I thought it was about um, the the voters and where that population is. I'm getting right. a little worked the number up. One, <laughs> no, <laughs> the number one thing that redistricting should be about is every 10 years to create maps that are responsive to those demographic changes, right? And so your your population will change in terms of who is there, how many people are there, and frankly, what the issues are that they care about. We are not static. We're not written in stone. That's why we do that every 10 years, and it's why it's built into the U.S. Constitution, Number two, I oftentimes hear this thing about like, oh, let's preserve uh, political cores or, you know, people voted these incumbents in. So we're just doing their bidding by protecting those incumbents. Right. (laughs) And And protecting incumbency is not in the Constitution. Right. Right. It's it. But it's it is self-reinforcing. And so, of course, when incumbents draw their own lines, the problem is that they will always be looking backwards. They'll always be looking at the constituency that got them there, not the constituency that is, right? Or the constituency that will be. So the reason why we take a census every 10 years is because you need to reassess where are people? Where do they live? What do they care about? And, you know, has your population grown or shrunk? You know, are they moving into more metropolitan areas or more suburban areas? All of that tells you then where you need to draw the line. Incumbents will always try to hold on to exactly the constituency that got them there, which means they're not being thoughtful about where people are moving to or what the changes are in a state. And in that's, that to me speaks of ruling, not governing. Yeah, right. right. And I would say that it also speaks to holding on to, uh, in the end, when you create districts that are not responsive to demographic changes. It isn't just that you're ignoring where people are, are now. You are also locking yourself into districts that are super safe where you don't have to be responsive to the current needs. So what that can mean is you are much more beholden to special interests, the money interests that got you there, right? the assets that you get in your district, and far less responsive to constituents. Constituents, what I'll say is this, you know, if you're in California and you're experiencing wildfires, if you're in uh, places where there are windstorms or tornadoes, right? One of the first things, or if you're in a place where there's a pandemic, right? One of the first things that you realize that those people that represent you, if they're if they're really responsive to their constituents, they're fighting hard to to tailor the programs so that they are responsive, right? Whether that's the federal emergency, you know, disaster relief or, or, you know, pandemic responses or thinking about, you know, how we're going to reopen our schools in a way that is safe, right? And that kind of nimbleness only happens when you are really 
being responsive to your voters and not just to special interests and outside, you know, political operatives. The biggest challenge is that when you're drawn into super safe districts, whether that's a safe district just for you as an incumbent or a safe district for your party, it makes that elected far less responsive to their constituents, especially when those constituents may be changing over time. Can you say universally that when you have a supermajority in any given state, whether it's Massachusetts with Democrats or Utah with Republicans, but that that, that is due to gaming the system, to gaining control of this redistricting? I don't think it's always due to that. I think that sometimes you do have just a lot of Democrats in one state and a lot of Republicans in another state. Fair enough, right? What I do think is that when you end up with a supermajority that is out of touch with their constituents, they become arrogant and non-responsive. And that arrogance uh, can lead to a lot of harm in real ways that people can feel, right, in the policies that we experience, right? And I will say that we see this time and time again, that arrogance can be exhibited by both Democrats and supermajorities and Republicans and supermajorities. So it is by no means something that is exclusively the domain of one side versus another. Um, we've just been talking with, you know, folks from Massachusetts and Illinois and Maryland. And boy, you know, the things that people pull out um, to, to defend the kind of rigging that they want to engage in. What I'll say is that in Utah, we need to say to our electeds that we created this commission in order to capture and be responsive to what people are telling them about where their communities are. And we hope that the legislature will be responsive, you know, to the proposed maps and really think hard about it. But if they go back to just doing what they really want to do, <laughs> because the independent redistricting commission proposed maps are only advisory, then the people will speak in the long run. Right. And that is to say that I think across the country, whether you're in a red state or a purple state or a blue state, that people want to have a government that they can trust. And that starts with electoral districts that really elect people who are going to be responsive to them. I'll give a small example, and this has nothing to do with party. So in California, after the Independent Redistricting Commission drew lines, they, they, didn't, and they didn't look at where people lived. And so it turned out that you know some incumbents found themselves in the same district as another incumbent. So uh, we had a longtime congressman find himself in a district with another incumbent. Um, and all the constituents said that in that electoral year, for the first time, they saw him in 50 years that he'd been representing that district, right? And they said they'd never seen them show up to so many baseball games and bar mitzvahs and, you know, you name it, all of a sudden, you know, both of these people were there bidding for votes, right? Trying to earn votes and trying to listen to their constituents. And that head-to-head -head contest really meant that whoever ended up getting chosen wasn't going to take that election for granted, which means when you've got a need, right? As a constituent, now you've moved ahead in the, in the line. Um, instead of being 100 paces back behind all the lobbyists and all of the special interests, now you're at the front of the line because your vote actually matters. Kathy Fang, thank you so much for a preview of uh, your comments coming up on October 27th with Better Boundaries and this event. What is the website for Common Cause where people can get more information? Sure. So folks can check out www.commoncause.org. You can also just Google 
common cause and redistricting, and you'll come up with a wealth of information. We're actually updating our Utah page because there's so much happening in Utah. And I'm very proud of what Utahns have done to choose to move towards a process that brings citizens into this. A lot of times people will say, well, why can't we just trust computers to draw lines? You know, and what I'll say is, I think, you know, look at Facebook. <laughs> Algorithms are just written by humans, by humans and express human choices, yeah. right? So how you choose is is how you write that algorithm. How you choose. You, how you choose. Yeah, how you choose. And so ultimately what you really need is people to come together to work through our differences and come up with resolutions that, that may require some hard conversations with your neighbors. What I'm very impressed with, and I think Katie Wright has shared this with me that she's also impressed, is that this independent redistricting commission, not only made up of people who are um, well-versed and uh, very open to hearing from Utahns from around the state, but also very willing to have same conversations, hard conversations, but exhibit what it means to deliberate together. And I think we need that as a country. We need that as a state, right? We need mm -hmm. to know that sometimes you can have hard conversations with people who disagree with you, who come from different political stripes, but we can work it out because otherwise, how are we going to survive as a country? Yeah. We've got to figure out how to, how to engage in that kind of healing conversation, whether it's in redistricting or solving a pandemic or allocating federal funds to important programs. Yeah. Katie Wright, Executive Director for Better Boundaries, I want to bring this back to you to close our segment. And this point that you got to choose, and I really think that Independent Redistricting Commission being involved in this process puts the onus back on the voter. You complaining about what you've seen the last 10 years in elections, whether you're blue, red, purple, what have you. Well, then you need to get involved. And this is like watching paint dry, I think, for the general public Katie, but, um, you know, this is where we can really make a difference in changing uh, our, our districts for the next 10 years to make them more competitive, um, to make candidates have to really work, show up to every bar mitzvah, ball game and barbecue, Katie. So uh, what I want to say is that Utahns are deeply engaged in redistricting, whether or not it's like watching the paint dry, um, people are watching it. And I have been just astounded by the amount of, for instance, community of interest maps submitted to the Independent Redistricting Commission, over a thousand. How many um, comments on the draft maps, over a thousand again. That doesn't even count everyone who's shown up to a legislative meeting, an independent meeting, who have emailed, um, and we're just getting to the exciting part. And when we compare that with states with much larger populations, it is very clear that Utahns are extremely engaged in the process right now. So I guess my message is um, don't let up. It, it, this is where it gets really interesting. We will have 12 draft maps submitted on and you know discussed on November 1st. And just a week or so later, our whole legislators in session to adopt. So now's the time to call your legislators and tell them um, that you really value transparency and you value criteria that puts people first. Um, the other thing I'll add is that in all of this commentary, you're not hearing people say protect incumbents. Yes, that is one of the stated criteria of the legislative committee is certainly not the intent of Proposition 4, the compromise we met, that is not allowed to consider that sort of data. 
Um, but yes, so there's a division between the committee and the commission on that, but there's also a lot of unity in what we're hearing from the commissioners, from lawmakers, and from the public, which is this very simple concept of keeping cities and counties intact. And when we do that, you can measure it very objectively, and it, and it creates maps that represent people. And so we're already seeing the criteria that works that appeals to people, that people want. It's straightforward and common sense. And I, I'm very optimistic that our lawmakers will see the sense in that and adopt maps um, that reflect that criteria. Well, Katie, I'm going to put my cynic and my pessimist in the box for the next couple of weeks to see how this plays out. I know you have lots of great tools on the Better Boundaries website. What's that website? And tell folks what they can do there. Betterboundaries.org. Um, you can find information on the upcoming meetings. Um, pretty soon you'll have direct way of contacting, contacting your legislators, and you also can see how you can comment on the draft maps as we march towards finalizing them for recommendation. And you can also get your tickets to the October 27th event with Kathy Fang. Remind us of those details one more time. Yes, um, October 27th at noon, and we're absolutely thrilled um, there's going to be all the awesome information she's provided today and more. And that is a virtual event. Check tonight's show notes, folks, for a link. Katie and Kathy, thank you so much for this sneak peek. Thank you. Laura, it's been so much fun. Check tonight's show notes for links to Better Boundaries and, of course, their event with Kathy Fang coming up on the 27th. Kathy is National Redistricting Director of Common Cause. I'm Laura Jones, and that's Radioactive. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now! Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm at 8. Michelle's Night Train at 10.30. Don't forget, John Florence starts your brand new day each and every weekday morning at 6 a.m. And you can catch the last two weeks of any show, including Radioactive, via krcl.org and the On Demand tab under Programming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting Listener's Community Radio of Utah. You know, we can't do it without you. We hope you'll donate during Radiothon. krcl.org is where you can do it right now. I'll leave you tonight with a little R-E-M. Can't get there from here on KRCL 90.9.